So if you really want to get far in that industry, you have to think very commercially. Of course, you can leave it at, at playing at small local clubs and stuff like that. But if you really want to get out and playing the big things and taking your career somewhere, you have to think very commercially. And I think that's really a good kind of education, if you will. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm your host, Alan Draper. So excited and thankful that you're with me today. It's often said that successful people need to fail, and I talk about that a lot. That may include experiencing career crashes, which provide real-world experience and build a resilience in the process. Sometimes those crashes are literal, as evidenced by the story of Peter Schroeder, a multi-platinum DJ and CEO of Telzio, a unified communications company that has collaborated with Facebook, Samsung, Airbnb, and more. Peter survived career changes, other tough times, and a literal plane crash to get where he is today. Throughout the process, he learned the value of focus and the most important elements of leadership, some of which he's going to share with us today. Peter, thanks for the time. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's get to it. You survived a plane crash? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the funny thing is I actually forgot about it. it. It bubbled up a couple of years ago, some conversation, and we just like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. I was actually in that plane. And so I should probably talk to someone professional about that at some point. But uh, yeah, in, in 2010, I was in a in a little turboprop that that crashed. We uh, They couldn't lock in the landing gear and uh, ended up uh, when they, they, fortunately, they knew that they couldn't lock it. So they were circling, you know, to burn fuel and they could prepare and all that stuff. And when it landed, it did collapse the landing gear and the propeller went through the fuselage and luckily no one got hurt. I think one lady broke her arm or something like that, but there was no serious uh, injuries. But yeah, that was that was a wild experience. So tell me about what was going through your mind at the point. My guess is that they told you, hey, we're having an issue with landing gear. You're going to have to position yourself in a certain way, whatever. Yeah. Is that like you knew something was going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were circling for, I, I think, al almost two hours. So we oh, had time wow. to call family and stuff. Uh, oh I, I actually gosh. just called my mom and said, Hey, I'm going to be a little late. So, uh, because I was on my way home to visit her, but <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. uh, it, the, the, it wasn't that scary because that particular model or that plane a couple of weeks before had the exact same issue and nothing happened. So we had seen that on the news that that was apparently a thing with that, you know, I guess after some years, all of a sudden these, these issues started coming up. And nothing had happened with that one. So we didn't really expect anything to happen. You know, like it was just like a, out of precaution, they were doing all these things. That was kind of, and they were very calm about it, uh, the pilot and the, the cabin crew. So it wasn't too scary, but afterwards, you know, there's the video on YouTube. You can see the crash. <laughs> the the one wild. that you were in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. We're going to have to yeah. dig that up and put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. I think it's crazy that you're like, you're kind of, it, so in the moment you were calm, doesn't sound like you were too worried about it. And I get like, these guys are trained and how to do stuff. But in the back of my mind, Peter, I would be thinking like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm texting and calling people and telling them that I love them, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I just called my mom and said, hey, I'm going to oh, text her. I think maybe, uh, I said, hey, I'm going to be a little late because there's some issue with the landing stuff. So uh, I really didn't think much about it. 
they did move people from the center of the plane out to each end because they knew that, you know, the propeller could come loose and go through once it landed and scrape the pavement. But yeah, it wasn't too scary until afterwards, I think. that That's when it really like kind of hits you that, oh, that could hmm. actually have ended pretty bad. Oh, yeah. What role did the captain and, and crew, what role did they play in alleviating some of the fear that might have otherwise been felt? Oh, they were they were a hundred percent reason why we didn't fear anything. Like it, it, they were so professional, so talented. You know, they're so good at well trained. You know, and good at what they do, and so calm about everything. And they're really just not not making a big fuss of it. Uh, they're just like, yeah. So stating the facts, they weren't trying to keep anything from us either. They were just like, yeah, we we can't get this light to light up up here that says that we're that the landing gear is locked. So we we're gonna have to go around a little uh, to make sure that we you know, get everything in order and that we have what we call a safety landing. It wasn't, it wasn't an emergency landing, safety landing, safety right? landing. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't anything. They were just really, really good about it. And I think also the fact that they didn't try to keep anything, they were very like informative. They all constantly kept us up to date with what was going on and all that stuff. So yeah, that was, they were really good. I think there's a really good analogy to business leadership with that, where, mm -hmm. There's going to be moments, and who knows what they actually were feeling. If they had any emotions, maybe for them it really wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they didn't have these thoughts like, hey, this something bad could happen. Because certainly, regardless of who you are or what your experience has been, something really bad could have happened. Thank right, goodness right. nothing did. But there's this great analogy, right? When we're running businesses, we're starting businesses, and we have people around us. And regardless of what we're feeling, people are looking to us. And mm -hmm. they're wanting us to say the right things. They're, they're wanting right. us to, have the you answers. know, exactly. We've got to have the yeah. answers and especially in the way that we communicate. Sounds like that was a really big deal. The way that they sent their message, they weren't 100%. talking really fast, like yelling, screaming, right. right? It was like, Hey, you know, they knew what words to use beforehand. They said safety landing. That's certainly not <laughs> what I would have called it. I would have thought it would have been a safety landing if you had landing right. gear, right. but you know, in your leadership experience and in your career, how have you noticed the importance of communication and exuding this confidence to your team so that they feel like they're safe and the mission's safe and all those things? Well, it's incredibly important. And I, I think you can definitely draw some parallels in, in terms of uh, not keeping any secrets. People will smell bullshit from far away. Yeah. So don't try to keep secrets from, especially not from your staff or from your customers for that sake, but don't try to keep secrets or say the truth or, you know, try to, to make something up. It's way better to just be a hundred percent honest and, and tell as much as you absolutely can. Uh, so everyone feels like they know what's going on and, and, and everyone can pitch in and act on and, and help whether it's a good situation that you're in or, or if there's something bad going on, you know, everyone needs to, to know. And the issue is if people start not, you know, trusting you as a leader or feeling that they're not getting the whole truth, that's when they start uh, jumping ship. You know, that's when they start abandoning you and you can't uh, afford that, and especially not in a, if there's something bad going on. So you have this experience being a DJ, which I think is awesome. It's fun kind of getting to know like the other side of people outside of business and entrepreneurship. Tell me what got you into becoming a DJ and then tell me what it took for you to get that first platinum record. Oh, 
That took many years. <laughs> well, so I found out that I wanted to DJ really early on. I think I must have been in maybe third grade or something like that right. when I saw like a, a, a DJ at a school dance or something. I was like, that is cool. And it was more just about, you know, the way you could play some music and people had a good time. That, that's, it's, it's never for me been about being on stage and be seen or, or, you know, that that guy up there is in control. It's not about that. It's more about you giving someone a good experience. Just like if you for hosting a, uh, dinner party or something like that at home that, uh, you know, giving other people a good experience and seeing they enjoying themselves. That's what it's all about for me. And, and I saw how this guy could do that, uh, just by playing good songs, mm. things that people like. I instantly knew that that was what I wanted to do. So I started playing, you know, at, at my friend's birthday parties and those kind of things. And eventually I, I got some club gigs uh, when I was say, 17 or 18 or something and, and, and started playing at bars and different uh, local clubs all through my, the, well, the rest of my teenage years. And eventually I, I met some guys I started a band with and started producing music. And it, But it wasn't until I think I was maybe 26 or, or 27 when I, I got my first plaque for a record that I had produced. So when you're kind of in the process of this, and we're going to use the example of you being a DJ, did your motivations or your intentions change for why you were doing it. It sounds like you got interested at a very, very young age. Was it different, you know, in third grade versus in your mid twenties for wanting to continue that career path? Or do you feel like it was the same? You just had this passion for entertaining people and having this effect on their life where they could have a really good time. Yeah, I think that's always been the main driver for me for DJing, but for producing music and actually uh, writing songs and those kind of things, that's different because that's more just, well, I, I like making music. I like, I like music in general. I come from a family with my parents were, you know, a pianist and drummer and out on gigs mm. every weekend. So it's very deep in me. But I, I, that's more just from a creative uh, point of view. I, I'm a very creative person. I like, uh, uh, making stuff, creating stuff. And I found out that, Hey, I can actually write songs and, and produce things on my computer. And I'm, and I'm a major geek. I've always been major nerd. So, you know, being able to combine being a computer nerd and also making music that I like, that was fun. And when I found some people that some other guys that, you know, shared that interest and that passion, that was just fun. I just kept doing that. They're actually not that related. It's eventually they became related because I released songs that, you know, in my own name and stuff like that. And, and I could use that to get gigs, but it's really two very separate things, writing and producing music and then being a DJ. It's really just, you know, yes, it's in music, but it's very different uh, disciplines. You started a company called Telzio. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how you kind of, from your previous experience, parlayed that into this company? Yeah, so also tells you is a, is a business uh, phone service provider. We provide phone service, texting, and all these kind of things, very out of the box uh, ish, and for, for businesses all over the world. We have small businesses, uh, two to five employees, and then we have companies like uh, Facebook and Google and Lyft and Airbnb and Samsung. So it scales really well in terms of, of the feature set. And, and I think it also has something to do with our pricing model that, that kind of scales. It, it works well, but tells you kind of came about because I was doing another project uh, for like some music promotion software I was uh, playing around with uh, creating. And I needed a phone service for like a, a phone number, you know, for support uh, for people to call in. And there wasn't anything really out of the box that just worked and I could afford. 
So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna gonna code it myself. And I got tired of having to write code every time I had to change something. So I created a little user interface. And then I just kind of got hooked. Uh, it was just a really fun to play with. So I ditched the other project and just kept working on this. And eventually that was like the first beta of Telsio. And I launched that, put it out just to see if there's someone would sign up and people started signing up. Hmm. Yeah. So I understand it. Is it like a Ring Central type platform where businesses yeah. can voice over IP, can control, you know, all aspects of of their phone system? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's very similar. I would say it's it's a little different in in terms of how we made everything in house. So the platform is is much more in control uh, of us. You know, we can add features easily, and we can make sure that things actually work. We haven't been down for I don't know since two thousand sixteen or seventeen for not even for a minute because we can fix things. We're not forced to wait for uh, sub providers to or vendors to fix bugs for us or anything like that. And at the same time, we're a small company, so we're really agile and nimble so we can you know uh, move fast on, on new things and that's kind of always been our our main thing what's the difference between pursuing something like a hobby like djing slash producing music and pursuing something like telzio a business mm, well i would say i never see anything as hobbies i've never had a hobby <laughs> I, and, and I say that because I always go full uh, in on, on whatever I do. I never do anything half. Uh, if I get interested in something, I go 100% for it. So it never gets to a hobby stage for me. It, 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 I just can't leave it there. There's no way. So I, I would say there's not a, a big difference. Being a DJ is, is very much also about running a business. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine recently about this, and we he was this, I think, CMO of Team Muir recently. And, and we have a couple of other friends that are old DJ buddies of ours that are in really high positions on, in, in big mm-hmm. multinational companies. And we're like, why is it that these DJs particularly, you know, end up in these positions? And I think it's really because you are forced to be looking at your gigs or your career as a DJ as a business. You have to think very commercially. Mm-hmm. You don't have anyone besides yourself you, uh, to do anything for you. You have to, to be the marketer. You have to be the business manager. You have to be everything pretty much. So if you really want to get far in that industry, you have to think very commercially. Of course, you can leave it at, at playing at small local clubs and stuff like that. But if you really want to get out and playing the big things and taking your career somewhere, you have to think very commercially. And I think that's really a good kind of education, if you will. Uh, it, it was definitely a good primer for me before I started my, my first business. It's interesting that you say you don't really have hobbies because I would have actually said it the other way that everything is your hobby, right? Because you have this, <laughs> you have this passion and you're going to put your heart and soul into it. And that's how I feel about business with where I am professionally. It's that's how I look at it. And, but I do understand what you're saying because some people kind of treat hobbies casually. Like, right. yeah, if, if I have an extra 15 minutes, I'll, you know, go dabble with, you know, the pool table or whatever. Right. But right, right, right. I think some of the greatest entrepreneurs, they treat with such passion, their businesses that, and hobby is kind of this casual, like almost non-committal word, but it's like, you have this different approach where it's like, Hey, if I'm going to do it, like I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. What has been your experience with making sure that you don't lose track of other things that are important in your life for the sake oh, of what your current pursuit is. <laughs> that's difficult. Uh, I mean, that's something I'm still learning. I, I have major ADD. I, I didn't find, I find out about that until 
I don't know, four or five years ago. There wasn't anything called that when I was a kid. So I didn't get that diagnosis, but yeah. that would have helped me a lot if I understood that earlier on in my life. It definitely did when I, when I found out. And that helps me understand these kind of things that, uh, you know, how, how do I keep track and how do I stay on track and make sure that things get done, even though they're not necessarily the most interesting, because there's always chores, no matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's chores as a DJ too. There, there's, there's always going to be stuff that's not fun to do. And with that diagnosis, that's really hard to get done. So that's definitely something that I'm still struggling with and, and trying to overcome. I've gotten a lot better at it, but it's, I'm, not, I'm definitely not, not perfect at that yet. But at the same time, it's, it's also a superpower uh, because that mm. really allows me you know, to get really, really good and dive really, really deep into things that yeah. I am interested in. Uh, and, and you know, that's probably also where I, I'm, I'm able to get pretty far in the different careers that I've, I've had is really because I, I get this really excited, you know, this excitement that I can't just leave. I have to just know everything about it. I have to be as good as I possibly can at doing that certain thing. I've been listening to this podcast recently and it's like an hour and a half. So I'm listening to it at 20, 30 minutes at a time and I'm not quite finished with it yet, but, and it's a nationally syndicated podcast, very well known, but the topic is, or the general theme of this episode is framing. And what Mm -hmm. they mean by framing is what are the words, the thoughts, the emotions, the feelings that come with how I view things that have happened to me or how I've approached things in the past. You just gave a really good example of the right way to frame something. You mentioned that you've been diagnosed ADD, and I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs ADD or ADHD, and I don't necessarily understand the nuances between them, but you said, but it's also my superpower. Mm -hmm. And as entrepreneurs and as humans generally, we have to review how we frame things. And I love that you said it like that because a lot of people with your same condition, with a lot of the same traits that you have, they would view it solely as this negative thing that's holding them back. And you use the word superpower. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's spot on. You have to, I think it's really about understanding as much as possible about yourself and understanding how to deal with whatever you, the cards you're dealt, right? How are you going to, going to play them? And for me, I've always known what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. I've obviously, as you grow, you get better at, at understanding that. But given that diagnosis helped me understand more about how I can actually deal with the bad sides. And at the same time, how, where to really put my, my energy. So I certainly know, like, you know, all of a sudden I know where to hire, uh, you know, what kind of people do I need around me to help me with the things I'm not good at? And Mm. and what kind of people do I need me, you know, to help me at at the things I'm really good at and make sure that those get emphasized. So yeah, it's, it's all about framing. It's all about uh, understanding as much about you yourself as possible. And it's incredibly important as a leader, you know, as, as much more you understand about yourself, you know, the better leader you will be. And, Everyone has bad traits and you really need to understand what are those traits and how can I get better at making sure they don't overshine all the good things. And I think, you know, things like personality tests and, and, and these things, uh, like Mayor Bricks and there's a couple of other ones. I've never really been that much into it until a few years ago. And I really started understanding that, Hey, this is really important. There's certain dynamics between your and your, your coworkers and even your customers and, and uh, vendors and whatever you're, you're working with. If you understand their personalities and how you interact with your personality and, and what your different traits are, that will help you incredibly much. 
You know, that's an interesting point because I like to say that very few things put you under like the proverbial magnifying glass, like owning a business. I think long-term relationships with romantic relationships do. I think being a parent does where you really start to learn a lot about yourself. It's basically those moments in life that really push your limits where you learn about yourself and being an entrepreneur, you have to do that and you have to be real and you don't do it to be negative. Right, Peter? It's, it's not like, it's not, I think you said it really well. Like you surround yourself with people that emphasize the good and that can compensate for where in areas where you might lack. And when Mm -hmm. you're starting a business, one of the most important things that you're doing, first of all, you have to keep your head above water financially, making sure that you're, you know, you keep the lights on, you keep the bills paid. But another thing that you want to do is cater to your strengths as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. One thing that I see happen time and time again is somebody's really, really good at something, whether it sells or some type of technical aspect, they'll start a business saying, hey, I'm really good at this. And then they spend time you know, working with the accountant or paying the bills or working on the website, things that don't cater to their strengths. And so right. entrepreneurs, you have to be self-aware. Number one, you have to identify, hey, what are the things I'm really good at? And it's not because you're necessarily above those other tasks or you're better than, you know, the people that do those day-to-day tasks or whatever. It's so that you can add as much value to your business because people are depending on you, your employees, your customers, the vendors, your partners, all these people are depending on you to magnify your strengths and talents in the way that adds the most value to the business. And and being self-aware, you're able to do that, right? You're able to identify, hey, this is where I need help. And then the second aspect of that, Peter, is that you're also not just getting completely drained from your energy. Because if you're doing these things where it's like, hey, this isn't really in my wheelhouse. Now, as entrepreneurs, we have to do them sometimes. Sometimes you just bite the bullet and do it. But day in and day out, Mm long-term plan, you want to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people, just like you said, that cater both to your strengths and weaknesses. And those people are out there. You know, it's, it's just about understanding what you need to look yeah. for. There's plenty of people that like doing Excel spreadsheets yeah. <laughs> and all the things that you don't like to do, you know. But yeah. if you find more people that are good at, at the thing that you're doing, obviously, as you grow, you need to hire everywhere. But uh, in the beginning, at least when you're finding your co-founders and, and so you make sure that you have people that are, you know, complementing whatever you need. And I was lucky that, that my co-founders, my co-founder, one of them is uh, my wife. And then, well, we weren't married back then. We are now. And she's really good with business and, and making sure that the light is on. And, and I'm really good with the creative parts and, and the technology. And we make sure not to step on each other's toes. You know, that's probably also why we've been able to actually work together for 10 years now and run a business. But finding those people that really come to me, is, is, that's the key to success, at least to, to get, get out the door, you know, get started with your business for sure. Love it. As we're wrapping up here, Peter, where can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about Telzio or all the great things you guys are doing? Yeah, so Telzio is just uh, go to our website, Telzio, T-E-L-Z-I-O.com and click on the little trial button there. It's really fun to play around with. So try it out. Uh, It's free. And uh, if you want to reach out and talk to me, I'm happy to uh, have a conversation with anyone. So go to petersroto.com. There's links to all my social media, to my email address and everything. Love it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Peter. Wish you nothing but success in the future, my man. Thank you so much for having me. That was fun. All right. 
If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time. Thank you.